Welcome to Intentional Balk Season 1, Episode 2. I'm Lou Landers. You can find me on the Suicide Squeeze Baseball Podcast, the Lucas Baseball Podcast, and of course, every Friday night, Sirius XM 211, Armed Forces Network Sports Overnight America. And I'm joined here by my co-host, it's Mark Mancini, the madman. XM calls him the world's worst handicapper. Whoever he picks, you take the other side. Mark, ready to get this show on the road? Boy, I'll tell you, it's the most muskier radio show that's sweeping Mondays. I call it the madness, my brother. Monday madness. I like it. I like it. Today, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, price to get into ballparks, even with the limited fans. That's going to be a juicy topic. We'll talk no Hall of Famers, the steroid era affecting uh, those Hall of Fame votes for sure. Possibly some Pete Rose and, of course, much more as it comes. But let's start with the resale of tickets with the limited fans, Mark. I know this is something that you've been wanting to chat about. I've seen you post about it on social media. And um, I know pretty much right in your backyard right now it's going to be happening. So let's hear it, man. Well, I'll tell you one thing. What I'm hearing with the Los Angeles Dodgers, you know, once they give the tickets out or the season ticket holders get them, then they kind of treat it like it's a, a Super Bowl of sorts. You know, the Dodgers finally won the World Series playing 60 games, three decades uh, since they last won the World Series. So, you know, and not having fans in the seats last year at Dodger Stadium, uh, just, you know, uh, inflated these ticket prices to go through the roof. I'm hearing that the home opener to go see the Washington Nationals uh, granted, it's a weekend, but people are talking about maybe $8,000 for a ticket. Can you imagine a family of four paying 35000 to go Hold see on a second. When you pull up, But when you say 8000 are you talking about right behind home plate, a couple rows up, right above the dugout? Or are you talking like second deck in like the home run territory? Well, I'm talking about in the uh, pavilions, man. That's what I'm talking about where you're not even getting right feel, where you get the food, where you can, you know, munch on the Dodger dogs and stuff like that. This is in the left field pavilion, what I'm hearing. $8,000 to see that. I mean, I, I can imagine if it was a World Series and jacking prices up, but a regular season, 81 home games, and you're jacking a ticket up to see the Nationals? I know when you look at it, it's the last two World Series participants, but come on, man. Let's not jack this seat up to 8000 where people can't afford to go to a game. I think it's ridiculous. I think the Dodgers need to step in and sort this thing out, get a lottery going. If you're going to have a limited amount of fans in there, rather than rip off everybody and have people sell them for five, six, seven times the amount, what you say, buddy? Yeah, I mean, that's absurd. Uh, especially, I mean, again, if we we're talking about like the, may he rest in peace, the Larry King seats. Okay, I get it, but we're not talking about the Larry King seats. That's um, that's I mean an astronomical price for any regular season game, and especially after not having fans in the ballpark, which was such a disaster last year to have these players playing in front of no fans. Uh, I mean, talk about taking advantage of the situation. Well, not only that, I like to get one of those ticket. Uh season you know uh 
participants on this show or something and find out, you know, they might just say, hey, listen, we just sold it to, you know, Joe Blow over here. We don't know what he's doing. But in hindsight, he's, he, you know, he's trying to pay his yearly salary here, even being out of work with the pandemic. I, I'll tell you, it's ridiculous if you say it. You know, in some of these, even in spring training, buddy of mine went down to Clearwater, said down there, you'll, you'll pay big money to see the Phillies cost you a couple hundred. I think it's just a gouge. And I think, you know, from what we saw when the McCourts owned this team, when they couldn't get fans to come, when they had the half-price merchandise, the half-price concessions, I think now in order to get fans back and get, you know, some kind of support there, people have lost their jobs. You still got 20 million people unemployed across this nation. Why are we gouging people? Yeah, well, you mentioned spring training. Uh, average resale price for a Dodgers ticket, $134. That is up from just $30 last spring before the pandemic hit. Angels, 72 average resale price up from 23 last spring. And the average resale price for any team this spring has been the San Francisco Giants at $152. So we're looking at three times the price for the Angels, more than four times the price for the Dodgers, minimum resale, minimum for spring training, 37 Dodgers, 28 Angels, and as low as 16 for the Seattle Mariners. You used to be able to go see a spring training game for maybe five bucks. Now the lowest you can go for is $16. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. And, and I think on, what you're not even Mark, you're not even getting nine innings in these spring training games. Exactly. You're getting five innings and seven innings. Well, and not only that, you're getting the manager to say, you know what, let's just roll it to the next inning too. We've seen a lot of that. But what what I don't quite understand is, you know, you, you, you can look at, you know, maybe the big market teams like the Dodgers, they haven't won the World Series and they're trying to, you know, get everybody in there and maybe it's going to go up a little, but you're talking about the San Francisco Giants that haven't done anything in years. You know, when you look at some of these other teams that haven't done it, I think it's just taken full advantage of the pandemic to recoup their money. And we saw the Philadelphia Phillies that lost $240 million last year. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to get it overnight. It reminds me of a guy opening up a business, putting a lot of money in the business. And then he opens doors and he's trying to jack up the shish kebab prices or something for three times the amount. Come on, man. You can't do that. It takes time. You got to build relationships. I, I am totally against this thing. And you know what? They're going to kill the sport uh, even more if they don't get a handle on this. And I understand. I mean, their attendance for the Dodgers in spring is capped for 2,400. So they can only have 2,400 people in there. So I understand wanting to raise the ticket prices to try and make up that difference. But why should the fans be the ones suffering? I know that the owners claim to be suffering from losing all the money last year. But, I mean, if you're so upset about not having fans, the way to get them back on your side is certainly not charging them three, four times the amount of money. Um, it's just, it's actually disgusting. Well, not only that, Lou, when you look at this too, if if they're going to the games, you're figuring, okay, some of these people, maybe they're living three, four to a household. Maybe everybody's working. Maybe the mortgage is paid off. Maybe they can afford the, 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 the $8 Dodger dogs and the, you know, the $150 jerseys or whatever they're buying there. They can go and, and do that once or twice a month. 
But I think for the other side of this coin here, if people want to take their kids to a game and get a reputable seat or something, cost $25 to park at Dodger Stadium, you're, you're better off parking outside the police academy and walking in because, you know, the way they direct you, you're not going to get a good spot up uh, as far as the parking goes up near the stadium anyhow. So why pay the $25? I think people are going to really look at it now. And with, you know, uh, 81 home games, People are going to start picking and choosing which games to go. They're going to look at the, uh, on the secondary market to get tickets. I think baseball is really going to look at it. We talked about the rules in it, what we liked and what we didn't like, you know, with the double headers last week and putting a guy at second base and playing softball with these things. I think, you know, what we're going to really have to do here is really solidify the division, solidify the small markets. Otherwise, this sport is going to be on a respirator. Well, I mean, it already might be with a new collective uh, bargaining agreement having to come up next year. I mean, we might not get baseball next year at all. At least last year, we got 60 games with no fans. Next year, we might get nothing, uh, potentially. Of, of course, they could come to an agreement. Uh, speaking of no baseball, how about no Hall of Famers this year in 2021? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's happened before, but it doesn't happen often. Well, first of all, uh, you know, uh, born in Pittsburgh, and man, I love my Bucks. Why isn't Dave Parker in the Hall of Fame? The Cobra was one of the most feared hitters in baseball. I don't understand why he's not in there. I don't understand why Barry Bonds is not in there. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they're coming up with the steroid issue. I know we're going to get into that momentarily. Roger Clemens should be in there. Uh, I, I don't know. It looks like a popularity contest. If you didn't work well with the media, you're, you're blackballed from it. But, you know, the Cobra has a book coming out here next month, and I can't wait to read that. But I don't understand how he is not in the Hall of Fame. And I don't know what your thoughts on it, and along with the rest of these guys, my friend. I mean, I don't have the thoughts on Parker the same way because it's not my generation. So I can't say, okay, I saw the guy play. He was this, he was that. I mean... I caught the tail end of Don Mattingly's career, and as a Yankees fan, I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. And the fact that he's not, a lot of people say it's because he never won a World Series ring. I don't buy that. There's a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame that didn't win World Series. Uh, with regards to Bonds, Sosa, McGuire, Manny Ramirez, Clemens, even Canseco, soon to be Alex Rodriguez, I mean... These guys are some of the greatest players of all time, not just into the last 25, 30 years. The home run records they demolished. Uh, I mean, A-Rod's arguably one of the greatest shortstops before he moved to third base we've ever seen. Manny Ramirez is one of the best pure hitters I've ever seen. Barry Bond is arguably the best hitter and player of all time, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, because of steroids, I mean, to me, that is ludicrous. And people say, okay, well, they cheated. They cheated. Well, at the time, it wasn't really considered cheating, Mark, was it? Was it illegal? Not to my knowledge. No, and if you can go back to uh, uh, Mark McGuire when the Androstein was out there, that was a legal substance, you know, the, taking those before the games and uh, getting the, the, the power and everything. And all of a sudden, I think the biggest culprit here is, I'm just going to lay it out there, is Bud Selig. I think Bud Selig knew exactly what was going on. You know, when they had the strike, we talked about this. Chicks dig the long ball was the slogan. He had a front row seat when McGuire and Sosa were there. Yet when the steroid issue broke, when Congress got involved in everything, 
you know, he kind of rolled everybody under the bus here and pretended he didn't know what the hell was going on. You know, if you're sitting in a car and you know three guys are going in to rob a bank and they get busted, well, you're in the getaway car, man. It doesn't matter if you didn't go in the bank. You knew exactly what was going to go down. So they hold a person responsible if somebody gets shot, even though the guy didn't pull the trigger but was sitting in the car robbing the bank. How come Bud Seeley got a pass when all this went down and he claimed he knew nothing of it? The sport was on a respirator then, should have been locked down and everything, but yet he lets you know, everybody uh, under the bus and says, well, hey, no, I don't know what the hell's going on around here. I didn't see nothing. You know, I didn't know everybody was using it. Your sport was dead. You were front row seat. I remember the games in Chicago and St. Louis when the Cubs and Cardinals would get together. They were they were going neck and neck on this home run thing. And Barry Bonds, to me, is the best hitter I've seen in baseball. They took guys away from him left and right, and Matt Williams, Will Clark, and everything. The guy continued to hit. He was a one-man wrecking crew. Yeah, he was the lone wolf. He'd go to cities. He would supply fans coming out there early, man. They'd come out and watch Barry Bonds. It was almost like watching the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 79 season when it was the Lumber and Lightning Company. People would get out there early. So I think Barry Bonds deserves to be in it. He wasn't caught with steroids. He was using flaxseed oil. Let's give it a break. Let's get him in. And, I mean, to take it a step further with selling and everything, I mean, we know that the commissioner is really not working for the best interest of the sport or the players. He's working for the best interest of himself and of the owners. And that's exactly what he did with this steroid situation. Uh, Sure, McGuire Sosa, that was incredible. Let me tell you how good Barry Barnes really is, because I don't even think people really understand how good this guy actually was. Forget about all the home runs, the early years with all the stolen bases. Check out this, okay? 1991, 107 walks. 92, 127. 95, 120. 96, 151. 97, 145. 98, 130, 2000, 117, 2001, 177, 2002, 198, 2003, 148, 2004, at 39 years old, 232 walks. You know what his on-base percentage was that year? Wow. Guess what his on-base percentage was in 2004? Gosh. 609. I was going to say about 550. Yeah, it was 609 on base percentage, 362 average, 232 walks to a 39-year-old. <laughs> if that is not respect and and being scared of a hitter, I do not know what is. Not now. Also, the four, three years prior to that on base, three um, sorry, 529, 582, 515. Batting average, 341, 370, 328. So it's not like he was bad after that either. And then even at 41 and 42 years old, by the way, led all of baseball in on-base percentage in his final two years. Well, and not only that, wherever, whenever he came to, uh, you know, opponent stadium, they were just, I mean, it, it was the Barry chant all over the place. And, you know, I wish he stayed in Pittsburgh. I wish the Fernando Tatis contract was, you know, in place in Pittsburgh because he would have, you know, uh, was brought up a buck and would have died a buck there. But uh, unfortunately, after that season in 92, they left uh, and went to San Francisco. And, uh, you know, the story is what it is. But, uh, boy, I'll tell you one thing. 
I sure loved him in Pittsburgh. I mean, I love watching this guy. Um, I was born in 1989, Mark. So obviously, I really remember him as only a San Francisco Giant. I don't remember. I don't remember anything of his Pittsburgh days. But looking at you know the statistics, and I'm big into statistics, of course, because I love the history of the game as well. Uh, I mean, he was a phenomenal player with Pittsburgh, but he was the greatest player ever with the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> Literally, yeah. from 1992 to 2007, he put together the best 15 16 seasons i've ever seen out of any ball player ever and i'm talking about ruth i'm talking about gary mantle aaron um ted williams dimaggio trout nowadays griffey all these guys i'm sure i i i miss some, some of the all-time greats but this guy is the greatest and the fact that he's not in the hall of fame is just disgusting to me and again I understand they were taking steroids. I understand that people consider that cheating. But let me throw this at you. Were the pitchers also not taking steroids too? I mean, how can you start picking and choosing? Okay, well, he took steroids. He was really good when he took the steroids, so we're going to make a big deal out of it. But it's okay that the pitchers that were going against them were taking steroids. It was just an even playing field, but we're going to penalize the greats of the game, not the average pitcher that was taking it. No, you're totally uh, right on the money on that. Exactly. And there's certain guys that when you look at it, that don't belong in the hall that are in the hall. And, you know, other guys are trying to get in the hall and they just can't get in. You know, they keep falling by the wayside. It's, it's, it's a travesty. I mean, I, when you look at this thing, and I said this earlier, it seems like it's a, you know, a popularity contest. If you got along with the uh, media, you were going to get into the hall. If you didn't, then you weren't. I mean, uh, it, this is just going to keep on going until somebody takes a stand on it. You can see the way uh, it, it's gone now. There's nobody uh, brought to the hall this year. It, it's it, it's crazy. And when you look at what's going to go on next year and everything, well, I mean, you got to sooner or later start bringing people up. You can't just blame it on a pandemic because people are going to just get short-sighted here as far as who belongs in and who doesn't. And now as these guys keep missing their time, look at Bonds, you got Parker. These guys are on, you know, their last legs here to, to, to keep on trying to get through here. Uh, they're going to need the Veterans Committee to get them in I was going to say, a guy like Bond is probably going to have to rely on the Veterans Committee now. I'm going to throw something else at you here, too. So I talked about the average pitcher. What about all these minor league players that took steroids and still didn't even make the major leagues? Like, let's not pretend that you all of a sudden you take steroids, you pop a pill, you inject yourself, and suddenly you become a superstar. Because if that's how easy it was, I'd be playing professional baseball, you'd be playing professional baseball, Joe Schmo on his couch would be playing professional baseball. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Well, it doesn't work that way. And, you know, the way I look at it, and I'll tell you this, I think the game of baseball, and we've got a lot of, you know, friends that either played the game or in the game, when you look at this sport, it's got to be the hardest thing in life. I mean, by the time you travel through the little league system and high schools and all that, and we talked about this, uh, no disrespect to the doctors or lawyers, but to make it in Major League Baseball in the last there, more than a cup of coffee, it's an honor. It's a, it's just a privilege. I mean, it's you're like a rock star 
And you know I mean, what? You're, right up you're so right because you look at some of the other professional leagues, the NFL, the top guys are they're being drafted, they're gunned right into the NFL. Yeah. Worst case, they're on a practice squad, but they're in the NFL. NBA, same thing. Those guys, maybe they're in, maybe they go to the D League for the most part. Remember, there's only a couple rounds. These guys are going right to the NBA, expecting to play. NHL, um, sure, there's one level of the minor leagues, but other than that, most of these top guys go to the NHL. In Major League Baseball, you could be the number one overall player in the country go number one overall and take five years before you get to go to the majors. Yeah. Just go ask Tim Tebow. Years and years and years and years you can spend in the minor leagues. Yeah. You get lucky. Some of these guys get called up at 20. Some of these guys still get their chance till they're 25 or 26 years old. And they've been playing their whole life. They've been drafted at 18 or 19. It could take them seven years just to hit the majors. Well, and not only that, I can go back to the days when the Oakland A's had a, a, a number one pick. I think his name was Morgan, uh, Mike Morgan. I think he came up. He was like 17-year-old. The A's put him in there, and, you know, he didn't last more than, you know, a cup of coffee in the major league system. But he was a Herald star, and you see a lot of these things where the, the guys will bring him up. There was a kid out of UCLA that went to the Yankees. I think his name was Carapelian. Oh, um, J- J- James uh, James Carapelian, yeah. Yeah, and then he, he got went traded to Oakland, to Oakland and, though. You know, yeah, and, 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 and you see these guys that come in, they dominate college, uh, they get in the minor league system, or sometimes they'll come up in the, in the major leagues, you know, and the major league teams want to see what they're all about, and then all of a sudden – you know, they, they go back out. You, you go, where'd this guy go? And yeah, well, Caprellian also dealt with a lot of injuries. I believe Tommy John, some right. shoulder issues, all sorts of things, which is a whole other issue. If it's taken you four to six years to get to the major leagues, think about all the injuries that can occur along the way that could prevent you from getting there. Well, and you mentioned and that's Oakland. why I think you, you mentioned you the Oakland really... A's, Mark. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how could we not talk about Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray chose football, in my opinion, because he was going to be the number one overall pick. He was going to get paid big bucks. He was going to play right away. He, Yeah, he was a first-round pick of the Oakland Athletics. He might have had to wait four, five, six years before even getting to the major leagues. Of course he's going to choose the, the NFL because he's going to play right away. Well, and I think maybe there'll be a seat waiting for him in the uh, MLB, too. Uh, if he goes back there, the A's probably have his rights or something, but... I don't think he's going to last more in the NFL. I think the Cardinals going to move on from him. A little too small, can't see the defenses. I think the best case scenario, but he's going to have to pay his dues in the minor leagues. Then bus rides, maybe in Scranton, maybe in Harrisburg. You know, I'm just throwing the Pennsylvania cities, but you know, if you go in the Northern California, a little Fresno, a little Modesto, who knows? But yeah, you got to pay your dues in the minor leagues, and some of these guys can't cut it if they don't. I don't think he's going to go that route at this point. I think he's going to stick around in the NFL, um, even if it's not with Arizona. He'll land somewhere else, and he's already—if he's smart with his money—he's already made enough money that he won't have to play minor league baseball unless he really wants to play minor league baseball if he invested it right. right. But. We definitely need to talk about Pete Rose because we're talking about the Hall of Fame. We're talking about players who should be in there, or at least we were talking about players who should be in there. We got off track a little bit. That's going to happen on intentional block, of course. But <laughs> Pete Rose, man, I mean, how, like, 
look, I don't have kids yet. I'm not married or anything, but I'm just imagining myself in 15, 20 years. I go there with my wife, my two kids, maybe one's 12 years old, one's nine years old, and I'm going to Cooperstown. I'm showing them around the Baseball Hall of Fame just like my dad did with me when I was younger and showing them, okay, this is, you know, what this guy did, this is what this guy did, this is what this guy did, and, you know, he tugs on my shirt and says, Daddy, uh, who has the most hits ever in professional baseball? And I would say, oh, well, that's Pete Rose. And they would go, well, who's Pete Rose? Why isn't he here? And I'd have to explain that. I don't even know how I'd be able to explain that to my child, um, that the guy with the most hits in Major League Baseball history is not recognized as a Hall of Famer. Well, first of all, you'll be bigger than the royal family, man. I can see your wife and your two kids. You know, it'll, it'll be a nice pick, and it'll be bigger than the thing I saw last night with Oprah Winfrey. But that's a story for another day. As far as I'll be honest, I did not bat, watch even a second of that. I was doing an auction. <laughs> I was doing exactly. an auction uh, fantasy baseball draft. Much more exciting. Well, I was trying. I was trying to, you know, do some setups in between that, but the wife had it on, so I figured, okay, I'll let me sit here and watch this stuff. But as I'm looking at a Pete Rose bat signed up uh, from Mizuno that he did years ago when I was in San Diego. Let me tell you something. There's never been an athlete that I've seen in baseball that's the nickname fits him like this, Charlie Hustle. This dude would give it his all. They talk about Mike Trout and everything. They haven't seen Pete Rose. The guy was unbelievable. The all-time hits leader. You could talk about, you know, uh, all these other guys uh, that, that, that have done it in Japan and all that. And, and I'm not buying that. I'm talking about the guy that's done it here in America, Pete Rose, all out. He's been vilified because he bet on baseball. What the hell does betting on baseball got to do with over 4,000 hits? I don't know. But, you know, the thing is, the dude belongs in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to stick with it. I know on the XM show that I do it with Fred Wallen, he goes against me on this. And I know you know Fred, too. So a lot of guys that might agree with us or disagree, that's okay. That's what this uh, country's all about. We can agree to disagree. But Pete Rose needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Look, I respect Fred. I respect Fred. Um, I mean, my first ever opportunity on Sirius XM about three years ago was with Fred. So I'll always have a soft spot for him. But in my opinion, he's just wrong on this one. Uh, It'd be one thing if Pete Rose was caught cheating as a player. But to be caught as a manager has nothing to do with his playing career. He's a Hall of Fame caliber player. So he doesn't get into the Hall of Fame as a manager. Big deal. There's a lot of guys that got in as a manager and not as a player. Right. Or or was a Hall of Fame player, but not a very good manager. Yeah, exactly. When you look at it, Tommy Lasorda, God rest his soul, he was a hell of a manager. He wasn't much of a baseball player. I think he lasted for a couple innings or something in the spring training game, didn't he? But, you know, as a manager, he got in there. and You know, that's what we remember him. So why can't we remember Pete Rose as the hitter? The hell with Pete Rose, the manager. And, I mean, forget about the fact that he has all those hits. I mean, it's hard to forget. 4,256. 4,256 hits. Really it's just incredible, a 300 career hitter, 375 career on base. But this guy did it 
from 1963 to 1986. I mean, that's 24 years of playing professional baseball at the highest level imaginable. And that's, I mean, what Cal Ripken did is one thing to play all those games consecutively, but you have to be a special kind of player if you're going to lead Major League Baseball history in career games, career plate appearances, career at-bats. And yes, you can make the argument that because he was a compiler and played all those years, he was able to get all those hits. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he still got all those hits. And it doesn't take away from the fact that his 162-game average throughout his career was still 98 runs, 194 hits, 34 doubles, uh, a 300 average and a 375 on base percentage. Right. Well, and not only that, Lou, and you, you've seen how baseball is going over the years. Is there anybody that you can match up with him? I, I threw Mike Trout out there. Uh, but the way baseball is going, uh, you, you really see a guy coming out there and hustling day in and day out like uh, Pete Rose did uh, no in way. the bigs today. I, I, don't, I don't see it because they're so enthralled about making that big money and, and not getting injured. No one plays that hard, um, as, as hard as he did at this point. Um, I mean, Mike Trout's certainly a good example. He's an incredible player. There's some amazing players nowadays, uh, but none to the level of Pete. And not only did he play for so long, he played a ton of different positions too. Yeah. I mean, he was all around the field, this guy. Left field, third base, first base. I mean, he was amazing. I mean, you looked at him, and I remember, and you weren't born then, but I remember the big tour when, he was a free agent, and I kept thinking maybe he'll go to Pittsburgh. The Galbraiths owned the team at the time. They were offering some racehorses, but he ended up in Philadelphia. And, you know, a good friend of mine, Warren Brewster, was saying, boy, when he came there, man, it was just they, – they, they were going over the top. It was a traveling circus right up there with Dr. J and the Sixers and, you know, uh, Air Jordan and the Bulls with Rodman and Pittman. It was the most must-see, must-hear thing uh, going into your city when the – the Philadelphia Phillies came to town. Yeah, I mean, again, the fact that he's not in the hall um, is probably the most uh, shocking of all of the guys that we've mentioned here today not being in. It's most the biggest travesty. And you know what's even more terrible? I think he will get in eventually once he's once he's dead. And that's what's yeah. more messed up about the whole thing is he'll never get to live knowing he finally got into the Hall of Fame. I do think at some point he'll get in. But the same way, I believe Roger Maris was not awarded the home, the single-season home run record until after he had passed right. away. So he passed away thinking that he never broke the Babes record. And they're going to do the same thing to Pete Rose. And to me, it's just disgraceful. Um, it's disgusting. And anyone who knows about the history of baseball knows how good of a player Pete Rose was. And if you want to say, okay, well, he gambled. Sure. He gambled, but you know what? Gambling is now legalized all over the country. I mean, times have changed. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No. Well said. I couldn't put it much better than what you put it. Well, at this point, then I'll ask if you have any final thoughts on the show, um, any ideas of what you want to talk about next week, give the listeners a little bit of a sneak preview. Uh, Just fire away, man. The floor is yours. 
Well, I'll tell you what I really want to talk about next week, and I want to go a little more in depth. We kind of teased it last week, and kind of I'm going to tease it again. Where is the stolen base gone? I mean, I grew up with Lou Brock, Ricky Henderson. You know, where is where is it gone? I mean, these guys are swiping 75, 80, 100 bases. And then the last guy that, that even came remotely close to those, I think, was 45, and that was Hamilton when he was with the Reds. I want to talk about where is the stolen base gone? Yeah, where is the stolen base gone? That is definitely a good one. Um, certainly, I have a ton I could probably add on that, but I'm going to save it. Everyone's going to have to come back next Monday <laughs> and listen, of course, on demand uh, to find out why I think the stolen base is uh, gone. But thanks for tuning in to Intentional Block, everyone. Season 1, Episode 2. I'm Lou Landers. That was Mark Mancini. We'll be back next Monday. Every Monday. We'll catch you next time. Have a great week.